Well, we continue in our series of uh, I am statements of Jesus. We come to Jesus' statement, I am the vine and you are the branches. Well, here's some interesting facts about grapes. You know that grapes appear in many colors? There's white, there's red, there's black, there's blue, there's green, there's purple, and there's golden. There are over 8,000 different varieties of grapes and over 60 different species. You know that grape is botanically classified as a berry. On average, a person eats 8 pounds of grapes a year. Now you might be thinking to yourself, maybe you don't eat that many grapes. I eat that many grapes. I eat your, your share that you don't eat. The oldest grapevine in America is 400 years old. Uh, it's in North Carolina. Grapes help uh, minimize the risk of heart attacks because they increase the levels of nitric acid in the blood, which prevents blood clots. Grapes are also used to help cure asthma and indigestion and migraine headaches and kidney disease and fatigue. Grapes are 80% water, so they're a good snack. It's low in calories. They contain low calcium and sodium and fat and are rich in vitamins K and C. Now, here's something really interesting. The grape industry is the largest food-based industry in the world. Concord grapes get their name from Concord, Massachusetts, right? Where they were developed. They have that distinctive taste. And for the people that go to New York to go uh, pick the grapes and all that. Well, as we think about grapes and vineyards and all of that stuff, it's important to remember and to understand that the picture of a grape and a vineyard and, uh, uh, you know, grapevines and all of that are an important analogy in the Bible. Grapes are still grown and they're still a major crop in Israel. Grapes were connected to the land of Israel from even before the time that the people of Israel moved into the land of Israel. If you remember when the spies came back from the promised land, they said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, Numbers 13.23 says that they had cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between them. That was one large cluster of grapes. The Old Testament many times uses the imagery of the, of the vine and grapes to describe the nation of Israel. For example, Psalm 80, verse 8 and 9 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Isaiah 5, 1 through 2 and verse 7 says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea also use this imagery of a grapevine as an illustration of the nation of Israel. 
so connected with this analogy in the minds of the people of Israel that the grapevine was used as a symbol of Israel on the coins during the Maccabean dynasty, which is the intertestamental period. And then in Herod's the great, you know, great temple, above the gate to the temple were these golden vines with grape clusters as large as a man. These great golden grapevines that were above the gate to the temple were so large that they could be seen from the Mount of Olives. So as Jesus begins to teach his disciples using this analogy of the vine and the branches and bearing fruit, this was all common. This was all understandable. This was everyday reality of first century life. The disciples had walked through countless vineyards with Jesus. They were well aware of the Old Testament vineyard analogies. The disciples understood the picture that Jesus was drawing. So it's important as we come to this passage, we remember the setting. Jesus is teaching only to the 11 disciples. Judas has already left the room to go and betray Jesus. This teaching teaching is on the very eve of Christ's arrest and crucifixion. These are some of the very final words, some of the very final teaching that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. They're intimate words. They're communicated there in the privacy of that upper room in the midst of all the tensions and anxiety of those fateful hours. There's much we can learn here from this passage. So please turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 15 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide. In my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, we thank you for these words preserved for us, these very words of our Savior Jesus Christ to comfort us and to challenge us and to change us this morning. May it do exactly that. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the first questions that comes to mind as you look at our passage is, why did Jesus say there in verse 1, I am the true vine? Why doesn't he just say like he does in verse 5, I am the vine? 
Well, the answer to that question goes back to the introduction. See, in the mind of the first century Jew, the nation of Israel was the vine of God. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts, Isaiah says, is the house of Israel. Israel was God's choice vine, which, which God had planted and which he had lavished care and attention. He longed for his vine to bear good fruit and much fruit. But as the Old Testament proclaims over and over again, the vine of Israel instead became degenerate and produced rotten fruit. Therefore, Jesus proclaims himself as the true vine. Jesus as the fulfillment of what God intended for Israel to do. Jesus is the fulfillment of what was shadowed before in Israel. He is the vine. He's the true one. He's the one genuine vine. He's the sustainer of all connected to him. The focus of God's work is no longer intending the vine of Israel, but is now intending the vine of his son. As the one true vine, he is the Messiah of all people. There is no salvation. There is no connection to life. There is no eternal life unless you're connected to Jesus, the one true genuine vine. God as Father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser, the one who tends to the vine. So they work together in union and cooperation. The Son, who is the vine, and the Father, who tends to the vine. They both work in perfect unison so that the branches, you and me, may bear much fruit. With Jesus as the vine, the branches are his followers. All genuine followers of Christ are intimately connected, bonded, to Jesus. All genuine followers of Christ find their life-giving sustenance in connection to Christ. Makes us think of the application question. Where do you find your life-giving sustenance? What is feeding and sustaining your soul? If you're not connected to the vine of Jesus, if you're not finding your life's nourishment and purpose and meaning in connection to Christ, if you're not bearing fruit, because you're not connected to the vine, to Jesus, then you're not a genuine follower of Christ. Because you see, Jesus is the one true vine. Jesus is the only genuine vine in which we can find life, abundant life, eternal life, and sustenance for our souls. There are two types of branches that are discussed in connection to the vine. There's a fruit-bearing branch, and the non-fruit-bearing branches. So let's compare and contrast the fruit-bearing branches versus the non-fruit-bearing branches. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So right away we see the two categories and the first comparison. The fruit-bearing branch is pruned, so it will bear more fruit. The non-fruit-bearing branch is taken away. Verse 5 says that the fruit-bearing branch abides in Christ and Christ in them. But the non-fruit-bearing branch, it says in verse 6, does not abide in Christ. Christ does not abide in them. This contrast is between those who have accepted the message of Jesus and by grace through faith have put their trust in him and those who have rejected the message of Jesus and are content to linger with a superficial knowledge about Jesus, or content to, to just be fine, to keep Jesus and this 
and all his demands on their life at arm's length. The fruit-bearing branch is described as bearing much fruit, abiding in Jesus' love, keeping his commandments, experiencing full joy, because Jesus' joy is in them. The non-fruit-bearing branch is described in verse 6 as being thrown away, withered, gathered together, thrown into the fire and burned. The contrast is clear. Fruit-bearing branches are in Christ and Christ is in them. Non-fruit-bearing branches are removed, thrown away, and burned. You know, fire and brimstone type of preaching is not much in style today. But may that never diminish our speaking the truth. Because Jesus is teaching today that there are two branches. There's the one that's connected to Jesus, that is saved, that's become a child of God, that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. And there's the other branch, the one that has rejected Jesus, the one that says, I'm going to live my life my way. The one that might think very highly of Jesus, but is not willing to humble themselves and to give the very leadership of their lives to him. One branch knows life and brings glory to God, is a disciple, abides in love, keeps his commandments, experiences real joy in this life and ultimate fulfillment in the life to come. The other branch knows isolation from God, removal from God and his provision, only keeps God's commandments if it gives them what they want, only experiences the shallow happiness of transitory moment is thrown away and burned and finds ultimate loss and suffering in hell. See, Jesus is clear. This is the truth that we proclaim today for all of us to hear. Today, we have to answer this question. We have to evaluate what kind of branch are we? Are we a branch that's connected, that's abiding in Christ? And Christ in us? Are we separated from the vine? Are we doing our own thing? Are we unwilling to be a real follower of Christ? Are we being prepared to be thrown into the fire and burned? What kind of branch are you? Well, the next part of this passage fleshes out the main point for the fruit-bearing branches. And that is, abiding in Christ is the key to fruitfulness. The path to fruitfulness is abiding, remaining, dwelling, and continuing in Christ. So first, let's look at this path to fruitfulness. The first pathway to fruitfulness requires pruning. Verse 2 told us this. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I've never tended a grapevine. But I understand that it takes constant care because... These grapevines, they want to grow these wild and spurious branches. And the more branches that the grapevine grows, the more energy that's wasted and not uh, bearing fruit. The better tended a grapevine is, the more concentrated the energy is, the nutrients are, to bearing much fruit. To have a great harvest of grapes, the branches need to be pruned. In one article I read about maintaining a grapevine, the author said, one of the biggest mistakes I see with pruning grapes is that the new grape growers are afraid to prune hard. Guess who's not afraid to prune hard? 
Our Jesus is not afraid to prune hard. I read that a well-tended new grapevine doesn't produce their first full harvest until their fourth year. Unpruned grapevine branches end up dying on the vine. Without the necessary pruning, there would be little to no grape harvest. The application is clear. All true branches in the vine will be pruned by the vine dresser, our God and Father, so that we may bear more fruit. All genuine followers of Christ who are in Christ and Christ is in them will be pruned by the Father so they'll bear more fruit. The point of the pruning is that the process of being pruned increases the quality and the quantity of the fruit. Every year, grape branches want to grow their own way. And every year, the vine dresser must come and cut out those spurious branches so there'll be a great harvest of fruit. We have this tendency to think somehow that our relationship with God is is supposed to be fun and easy. We're supposed to just grow whatever branch, whatever direction we want to go in. And God's just supposed to fulfill our every want and dream. But see, the mission of the branches is not to get what they want, but to do what the vine wants. We, the branches, have a a way of growing in all these different directions, which is actually taking us away from getting that nutrition, that soul-quenching, satisfying nutrition from the Spirit into our branch. Each one of us knows we need pruning. We need the Father cutting away those things in our lives that are distracting us from His purpose, from His plan in our lives. And we don't often like the process. Because sometimes pruning hurts. Sometimes it's hard. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever will lose his life, will find it. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? So often what we think are gains in our lives are sometimes the very things that God wants to prune out of our lives. Because what profits a person if he gains these worldly things only to lose and forfeit the health and spiritual vitality of our souls? The point of pruning is that it hurts the vine so that the vine can be more fruitful, so that the vine can be more healthy, so that the vine can be more strong. See, God prunes us in a way in our life as as we follow Christ, as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross, losing our life in Him for His sake. God prunes the sin and selfishness away in our lives. Now, nobody likes to be pruned, but it's the only way for a branch to bear fruit. Much fruit for Christ is to be pruned. So the normal, everyday Christian life experiencing for us is pruning. This is a regular occurrence in our lives to be pruned by God. So the question for you right now is evaluate, is God pruning you? 
Or are, are you resisting it? Are you kind of saying, no, you can't touch that branch. That's my branch. That's for me. You can't touch that. You can't do that. You can't do this. Pruning can hurt, but the end result of God's pruning in our life is a path that leads to fruitfulness for Jesus Christ. Another truth of being fruitful in Christ is that we can't do it. It's impossible. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. The logic here is really strong. See, unless the branch is tightly connected to the vine, unless the branch is in the vine, and the vine is in the branch, the branch cannot bear fruit. Once the branch kind of launches out on its own, you know, once the branch kind of decides to leave the vine and do his own thing, there's no way for the branch to receive the vital nutrients that keep it alive and help it to grow. I have in my backyard a pile of branches. Because every windstorm that blasts through the yard, I walk around the yard and pick up more branches and add it to the pile. Every time before you mow, you have to go collect your branches and put it to the pile. It's starting to get a pretty good pile. Last year, uh, Jeff helped me load the pile and bring it over here to dump it in the area. It's getting to be that point again. But you know, never once has any of those branches ever started growing. Never once has any of those branches in that pile sprouted leaves or flowers or fruit. It's just a big pile of dead branches. Because the only way for a branch to grow is to be connected to its source of life, to its tree, to its bush, to its vine. The branch has no life in itself. The only life the branch has is to be connected to the vine. The only way the branch can grow and produce fruit is to be connected to the vine. In other words, all the power and all the glory belongs to the vine. Not the branches. It's the vine that gives life to the branches. It's the vine that produces the fruit on the branches. Apart from the vine, the branch can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we could do nothing. Apart from Christ, we're just a pile of dead wood. But in Christ, and through Christ, and because of Christ, we can bear much fruit. See, it's not about us. It's all about Him. It's not about our skills and ability. It's not about our wisdom. It's about His power and ability. It's about His wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, through Paul says this same truth this way. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. This is one of the paradoxes of Christianity that trips up a lot of people. Just because it's true that we can do nothing apart from Christ, that doesn't mean that we are to do nothing. Not at all. The exact opposite 
is true. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 puts this paradox together so powerfully. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The first part of this verse commands us to obey, to work out our salvation, to exercise our salvation, to take our salvation out on a walk. We are to do things that make our spiritual lives stronger, more vibrant, more fruitful. All done with an attitude of humility and dependence. Over and over again throughout the Bible, we're commanded to do things. Even in our passage today, in verse 8, it says to keep Christ's commandments. Our salvation just doesn't produce in us a willingness to serve God. No, our salvation actually makes us active servants of God. As my pastor friend Darren likes to say, saved people serve people. A car parked in a garage might be willing to take you somewhere. It might even be available to take you somewhere. But while it is parked in the garage, it's not fulfilling its purpose. It's not until the car fulfills its purpose. It's not until the car is working out its driving ability, exercising its driving ability, that the car is able to be used to accomplish its design and purpose. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God wants us to obey him, to exercise our faith, to take our salvation for a walk, so that he can work out his purposes in us, so that he can accomplish through us what he's designed us to do for his good pleasure. Look at verse 8. It tells us that God is glorified when we bear much fruit. It says that we prove for all to see that we are true disciples of Christ when we bear much fruit. We obey, we serve, we sacrifice so that God can do his will through us. So that God can accomplish his purposes through us. Because without him we can do nothing. But in him and through him we can bear much fruit. All to the glory of God. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Is your spiritual car parked in the garage willing but doing nothing? Are you fulfilling God's purpose and design for your life so that through your life God is doing things that bring him glory? After so powerfully telling us that salvation is only by faith through grace and not of yourselves, After saying it's impossible to earn your own salvation through our own effort or works. That salvation can only be received as a gift given by Christ to us through his death for our sins and his resurrection and power. After saying all that, Philippians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created in Christ to serve him and to serve others. We were created in Christ to walk in the good works that God has ordained for us to do. You were created in Christ to bear much fruit. For each of us, God has a calling in our lives to serve him. Do you know that calling? Are you following that calling? But bearing much fruit is not just in fulfilling our God-ordained purposes, It's also becoming a vessel whose character more reflects the character of God. 
God is not just wanting our service. He even more wants us to grow in grace and truth. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you ever noticed that the fruit of the Spirit is singular? It's not fruits of the Spirit, but fruit of the Spirit. The one Spirit gives us one fruit. This one fruit has many different aspects. The one description of the fruit of the Spirit that has always stuck in my mind was that it was described as a cluster of grapes. One fruit cluster, many different grapes. What a perfect connection to our passage today. The fruit, the much fruit, that God, the vine dresser, and Jesus, the true vine, wants to produce in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit cluster of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Oh, what pruning we need to grow such fruit. Lastly, this morning, it should be clear to all of us that the main point of the branch is its connection to the vine. It's the most important reality for the branch. Here in our passage, it's described as abiding. Abiding in Christ is the key to fruitfulness. Write it down. Your sermon in a sentence is, abiding in Christ is the key to fruitfulness. Verses 9 and 10 tell us how to abide. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The first way of abiding is love. The first focus of abiding is a relationship. Think about this statement. As the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus loves us. As the Father is so connected to Jesus, so Jesus is so connected to us. As the Father is unconditionally committed to Jesus, so Jesus is unconditionally committed to us. What does Jesus tell us in response to that truth? Abide in my love. Nothing you do can make Jesus love you more. And nothing you do can make Jesus love you less. He loves you. Not based upon your performance, but based upon His forgiveness. His love is not earned. It can only be received. As a branch connected to the vine, you are loved. You are to abide in Jesus' love. To abide means to have an inward, enduring, personal communion. To have an inward, enduring, personal communion. The next way to abide in Jesus is to obey Him, just like Jesus obeyed His Father. It is an obedience that stems from love, from relationship, from connection, from abiding. As you abide in His love, you obey, because that is what you want to do when you are abiding in His love. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Verse 7 adds another aspect to abiding, and that's Christ's Words abide in us. Abiding in Jesus means abiding in His Word, knowing it, reading it, studying it, living it. So when we put it all together, while we abide in His love, we naturally want to keep His commandments and to know His Word, which further deepens our abiding in His love, which further helps us keep His commandments, which further grows our understanding of His Word, which further increases our abiding in His love, which further motivates our obedience, which further gives us more wisdom into His Word. And it goes on and on and on. Understanding this 
abiding cycle helps us understand verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What does the branch that is abiding in the vine's love, that is walking in obedience, that is immersed in his word, wish for? To bear more fruit. It is the ever-increasing desire of the branch to glorify the vine by bearing more fruit. That's the prayer of the branch to the vine. And that prayer will be answered every time. So what's the end of this cycle of, of abiding, of love, of obedience, of knowing His Word? Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be filled. What is the end of the cycle of abiding? Joy. Christ's joy in us, and our joy to the full. Joy to the full. Not ease, not pleasure, not earthly treasure, not a life free of hardship or sacrifice or loss. What the vine said he wants for all of his branches is joy. Joy supersedes happiness, for it is only momentary and fleeting, but joy is long-lasting and enduring. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. Joy is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be alright. Joy is the determined choice to praise God in every situation. What does Jesus want for his abiding branches? Joy. Jesus and us. And we in him. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We all know what a power strip looks like. We plug a lot of things into the power strips of our lives, our jobs, our family, our marriage, our children, our education, our church, our chores, our, our service, our children. Yes, I know, I said children twice because it takes up that much energy. And on and on and on. Our lives kind of look like this. An overloaded power strip. But you know what we often do? We unplug the end of the overstuffed power strip of our lives and we plug it back into the power strip. Sometimes we think we have enough wisdom and energy and spiritual insight and power and godliness to manage all on our own, all the things plugged into our lives, plugged into ourselves. We can't. When we plug it into ourselves, we don't prioritize right. We don't apply God's word right. We don't focus on the right things. It all becomes about us and soon the energy is gone. A branch living on its own power for its own purposes and goals will eventually wither. The only way for the branch to stay vibrant, alive, and flowing with growth is to be connected to the vine. Is the power strip of your life connected to the one and only true power source? Are you trying to live for God rather than live in God? Are you trying to earn God's favor rather than abide in his love? Is your branch so connected to the vine that the vine is producing his fruit through you in all the areas of your life? Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray. We pray that we branches might abide in you, the vine, and find its sustenance, its purpose, its meaning, its love, its obedience, all because of you, the vine, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.